my name is Vicki Sparrow, and I bring you hellos and love and prayers from the saints at the Christian Church at Port St. John, Florida. And um, I just wanted to share a little something that God led me to in Scripture. It's, it's just been kind of rolling around in my spirit over the past several weeks. But before I go into that, allow me just to say, I am so eternally grateful that we serve the living God. Aren't you? And that he's always faithful to be- go before us in so many ways. Even though we we ourselves have to choose to overcome, he most definitely goes before us in battle and ultimately fights on our behalf. He goes before us in truth and righteous vision, establishing and lighting the path before us, and he's always been faithful to prepare us for the next aspect of what he's going to be doing, and he does that well before it occurs. And it's really this latter that I wanted to talk about today. I've been looking at a couple of verses in Revelation, um, Revelation 13.10 and 14.12 to be specific. Both of these verses essentially end with the same words, or the same phrase, I should say. Here is the patience of the saints. Patience, of course, is our old friend, hupomone, which means to remain under the appointed place of abiding. And our abiding place is wherever God has assigned us. Now, certainly there's an active choice that every one of us have made since we've been in this saintly walk. I mean, we've lived this choice, and we'll continue to do so. The only success we can hope to accomplish for the kingdom of God is going to come through staying under the covering of what God's called us to do. The only validity we can offer to any prophetic promise or directive from the throne is when we stand in our God-given identity, fully committed to see his assignment carried out to the end. So I was just thinking about why this phrase is mentioned twice only, and especially with both just both mentions of it just verses apart in Revelation of all books. What is the significance of Pneumatico's patience in these two critical end-time scenarios? Certainly there's the aspect of not abandoning our posts in the midst of extreme resistance and hostility, that's for sure. But I think there's another facet that we can find in this. And I think it speaks back to that statement that I just made of how God always prepares and equips us for the next thing that he wants to do in and through us. In Revelation 13, if you read through that chapter, we'll see that in the end days, the beast is going to be permitted to unleash blasphemy in several strategic directions. Against God, against his name, against his glory, against his people. And this tactic, in whatever form it assumes, whether it be through rumors, false accounts, fake news, or some aspect we've not even yet imagined, it's going to be for the purpose of getting the saints to abandon the ways and purpose of the Father and to delay or impede what God wants to accomplish in that critical time frame. The beast will be permitted to make war with the saints and to attempt to subdue them. And finally, the beast will be permitted to function with exousia power so that he can carry out the warped will of the demonic authority over him in regards to all of God's people, all languages upon the earth, and all people groups on the earth. And I I think that pretty much sums up the entirety of things, don't you? I can't even begin to imagine what that's going to look like, especially as it occurs over the languages. That's kind of a little intriguing to me. But does this mean that the beast succeeds across the board? Well, apparently not, because verse 8 says that there will be those who will proskuneo before the beast as a result of this intense release. But there will also be those who will not proskuneo 
because they have maintained their devotion to and position with the Lamb of God. They've retained their divine identity. And then we read, after all of this, Revelation 13.10, He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Here literally means, in the midst of this corrupt climate, in this place where the enemy is really giving it his all, launching forth all he's got against God's people, seemingly the worst of the worst, the saints not only remain faithful to abide in their assigned position while this, this onslaught is occurring, but they're deliberate in their determination to see that all that's released from the right hand of God is fulfilled. Each of us, to some degree or another, has withstood a measure of this type of opposition in order to even be where we are presently. But I don't think any of us has experienced quite this type of intensity that's on the threshold of this time we're living in. And yet, this is a picture of us, of who we are, but also of who we will be when this occurs. Certainly, we're beginning to see the whispers of this type of opposition. If you had told me in 2019 that churches, churches across our nation would be forced to close by the government, I don't think I would have believed it. If you had told me that governmental leaders in this nation, known for our freedoms, would be speaking about conservative voices and Christians as being threats to the security of this nation, I would have told you that you were nuts. If you would have told me that Christian church ministers were making CDC guidelines the litmus test between whether you were considered to be a Christian or a heretic, I would have thought you were crazy. And yet, here we are. Now, this latter one occurred in a social media discussion I was reading last week, and I went to Bible college with the individual that stated this. I'm going to be honest. This last incident triggered a point of indignation (laughs) and even disgust in my emotions to see how a fellow Christian would equate a physical response in the natural to leading people into the kingdom of God as Jesus did. His shallow and judgmental aspect of what makes a kingdom person really bothered me. And I spent a bit of time allowing this to roll around in my mind. Well, maybe even a little bit more than a bit. (laughs) But then I stopped to actually talk to the Father about this, and I realized... God, you're revealing something about me in all of this. And it has absolutely nothing to do with this individual's response. It's all about mine. Now, did I quit praying over this time frame while I was busy being indignant? Nope. Did I lay aside my identity as a saint? Nope. But it struck me that any amount of energy that was given to this scenario was a complete waste of my time. And yet, It's exactly these type of situations that will lead up to the onslaught of Revelation 13. We're presently living the beginnings to these. But our God is so faithful to use this present time that we're in as a preparation ground for who we'll need to be and how we'll need to function as things increase in nature. Now, If this small situation found a point of revulsion within me, Just imagine what the efforts of the beast are going to feel like. These end-time climates are going to cause disgust and loathing because, well, they'll be exactly that. But even they cannot become the focus of our attention. Even they cannot be allowed to move us in any way except 
to remain under the touch of God's hand and take our cues from him. This made me think of the um, Valley of the Ditches where the kings of Israel, Judah, and Edom went out to fight against Moab. I know you all probably remember that story. God went before them and prepared the way for victory. But just as they were on the cusp of total annihilation of Moab, the Moabite king offered his heir, his son, as a burnt offering on the city wall. And as a result, great indignation rose up against Israel. And Judah and the Edomites simply left their advantage and went home without the victory. I was thinking about this and thinking, I don't want to succumb to my own emotions. I don't want to allow my feelings to siphon off even one bit of energy that's meant to be directed towards God's plans. I want to continue to welcome the examination of the Father's eyes so that I can be all that He needs me to be, so that that I can obtain every single bit of my glorious inheritance. I need His touch on me to draw myself back into alignment and to continue to be developed in the way that He needs me to be developed. And I'll tell you, at one time in my life, reading all of this in Revelation would have scared me. But now, it, it really, it only encourages me. And that's because I've seen the pattern with God. We've all seen Him faithfully provide us with what we'll need for the next step. He's done this over and over again. And frankly, I still stand amazed every time it occurs. Just as God goes before us in battle... He's ahead of the game, and our adversary as well, in developing us for what lies ahead. So that's what leads me to the second time that this phrase is mentioned in the very next chapter, in Revelation 14. In this chapter, there's a very different scenario established from the one in chapter 13, wherein the opposition is directed against God and his saints in chapter 13. The tables are turned, and God directs his strategies against the enemy in chapter 14, So here we see several things that are occurring. The good news of kingdom reality that we know is going to continue to function on into eternity will be preached throughout the earth as the people of the earth are invited to join the battle against Ra and to proscaneo before God. Another thing is there will be a destruction of the framework or the, the world system that has implemented confusion through a continual mixing of Ra with the purpose of God. And then those who reject God will be dealt with by the angels and by Jesus. Now, what do these events spell out to you? Because they sound like victory to me. I'm not saying this is the end by any means, but these events are definitely victorious in nature and magnanimous in importance. And right after all of this, we read Revelation 14.12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Here, in this time frame of kingdom success, in this place of kingdom victory and breakthrough, this same measure of patience will need to be employed by the saints. This same measure of staying under the touch of Father's hand will be required because he will still be working points of refinement and expansion in each of us. He will still be preparing us and equipping us for things to come, even in the midst of overcoming, even in the midst of success and victory. As I was looking at both of these accounts, it struck me that the patience of the saints in duress and challenge are really the Perot stance for the patience of the saints in the Perots. The one is not only necessary for the other, but it'll provide for the other. These end-day conditions and environments will act as 
our launching point into the triumph and conquest of the breaker. Of course, the enemy would still love to use them as a way to divide our efforts, to dilute our energy. Sounds like part of the way he'll wear out the saints, doesn't it? But God is allowing us to be tempered, even now, so that we can put these climates into proper perspective. He's using these present-day climates to allow us to know in some small way the types of environments we'll have to navigate in ahead and to train us to do that and to really be honest with ourselves about how we're approaching them. Our assignment is just to stay under the atmosphere of God. That's really the easiest way to rein in our minds and emotions. So here is the patience of the saints. As we abide under his touch, may every part of us be developed to the fullest measure of God's intent. Until next time, bye.